Sometimes I feel pretty rebellious because the psalm leader always says, please be seated, and I stand up, but at any rate. Please take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter. Matthew, chapter 26. The evening before the Lord's betrayal and arrest, he met with his disciples in the upper room, as you'll recall. He washed their feet, taught them many lessons. Peter was there that night, and as we all know, Peter had a problem with Jesus washing his feet, but as soon as the Lord straightened him out, you know Peter, he just, okay, wash, wash my whole body then. Jesus taught them many lessons that night, and as they left the upper room, we come to Matthew chapter 26, beginning verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will, be, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Wouldn't you like to have heard Jesus' tone of voice and seen him as he looked at Peter? Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Mark records that in Mark 14, 31, saying, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter was absolutely certain he was not going to do that. But as we know, within just a few short hours, Peter denied him three times. Contrast that with Jesus in the following verses, beginning verse 36. Then Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and, and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes are heavy. So he left them, went away again, prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, 
The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I want you to consider Peter and Jesus. I want you to contrast the two of them. Peter was not quite ready for the total commitment that he claimed he was. He said he wouldn't deny the Lord three times, but he was not quite ready for a complete commitment like that at this point, no matter the cost or the consequences. But Jesus, in the verses that we have just read, was indeed completely committed to doing God's will instead of his own. I want us to consider for a moment that this phrase, not my will, but thine be done, or your will be done, those phrases are not just a statement of structure to be included as a nice sounding ending to a hopeful prayer. It's not just something that, that we stick in a prayer to make it sound all formal and Christ-like. Those words, thy will be done, or not my will, but thine be done, those words instead they're not just window dressing. They are the indication of a complete commitment to understanding, accepting, and executing the entire will of God in one's life, no matter the cost, the consequences, the losses, or the sacrifices that one has to make in order to do God's will in their life. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus say that? Because that was what Jesus was committed to since day one. Again, why? Well, he was committed to it since day one because he knew that that's what it took to please the Father. Not his own will, as it were, as a human being, but God's will. It's quite interesting to note. Do you know how some words lose something in the translation? It's quite interesting to note here that there are two similar but yet different Greek words that are translated will in this passage. In verse 39, Jesus used the Greek word thelo, T-H-E-L-O, when speaking of his own will. We, we don't translate well sometimes. When the Greek will have two or three different meanings, we all put it under one English term. And this word will is one of those. Again, in speaking of his own will that this cup passed from him, he used the Greek word thalo. And that means to will, to have in mind, to intend, to desire, to wish, to love, or to like to do a thing to be fond of doing, to take delight in, or have pleasure doing. That's what that word thalo means when Jesus said, talked about his own will in verse 39. But in verse 42, Jesus uses a different Greek word for the will of God, and it is thelema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A. And that word means what one wishes or has determined shall be done, of what God wishes to be done by us. God's commands, God's will, God's choice, God's desire, God's inclination. 
Jesus uses the two different terms. And so it's critical to note exactly what Jesus is saying. When we, when we take those two terms and we inject them into the text with their full meanings so that we can get a better understanding of what Jesus is saying and praying in the garden that night, it would be something like this. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, it's not about what I will, what I want, what I intend, or what I have in mind. It is not about what I desire, or I wish, or I love. It is not about what I would like to do, what I would be more fond of doing, what I would take more delight in doing, or would experience more pleasure in doing. That's the word Jesus used. No, instead, God, it is about what you wish, what you desire, what you have determined should be done. Father, it is about you and your commandments, your precepts, your will, your desire, and your inclination, Father. And my total commitment to that, no matter the personal cost, consequences, or sacrifices I have to make in order to accomplish your will, Father. For that is what I am committed to. That is a breakdown of the idea of what Jesus is putting across here when you look at, at the full Greek terminology. Jesus had always known since before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, he had always known what God's will was. He had known that God's will and God's choice and God's determination was that he, Jesus, would come and bear our griefs. That he would come and carry our sorrows. That he would come and be smitten by God and afflicted for you and I. Jesus had always known that God's determination and God's purpose and God's desire and God's will was that God would be pleased to bruise him, Jesus, for our iniquities and to put him to grief, even death, on our behalf. All from Isaiah 53. Jesus knew since before the beginning in this plan, Jesus knew that he would have to sacrifice any and all personal potential human pleasure if he was going to be completely committed to God the Father and going back to heaven and taking you and I with him. Look with me in your Bibles in Galatians 1. Look in Galatians 1 verses 3 through 5. Paul would explain to the churches of Christ in the first century region of Galatia Galatians 1, 3 through 5. This very same idea. <coughs> Grace to you, Galatians 1, 3, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this now, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. It was all part of the plan. It's all part of God's will. Jesus did it according to the commands and the will and the choice and the determination and the pleasure of God the Father. Hebrews 10 and verse 7. 
explains that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of Jesus once for all. Jesus, in other words, put his own personal potential, personal human desires, will, in submission to the determination of God the Father. And so this morning, what I'd like for us to do with the rest of this lesson is to look at how Jesus had always been committed to his father's thelema, his father's commands, precepts, and determinations, rather than carrying out his own personal preferences. And I want us to do that by looking at some of the New Testament verses where that word thelema, meaning God's intention, is used. I want us to do that with an eye towards our own personal Christ-likeness because we often claim we want to be like Jesus. But being like Jesus means doing the same thing Jesus did. And what Jesus did in the garden was no matter how much it was going to cost him, he put God's determined will and purpose ahead of his own desire for an easier path. Let us look at the word thelema in these passages. Turn with me to John 4. It is always translated will. God's determination rather than our own desires. John 4, beginning at verse 27, reads as follows. And again, all of these passages in the Greek have thelema in them. John 4, beginning at verse 27, reads as follows. This is after Jesus has had the conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. In verse 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went away, went her way into the city and said to men, come, see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I, watch this now, I have food to eat of which you do not know. <laughs> These guys are always focused on the physical, aren't they? Therefore the disciples said to one another, uh, has anybody brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the thelema, to do the purpose or the intention or the commands or the desires of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, Jesus ate, drank, and slept his father's will. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, we see this word again. Jesus said, I can, do my, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the thelema, or the will of the Father who sent me. You know, a lot of times we are told by those in the world who don't want anybody to look at their sin or tell them they're wrong. We're told, well, the Bible says you can't judge. Can't judge. And we know that in John chapter 7 and verse 24, it tells us that we are to judge with righteous judgment. But how do we do that? How do we judge with righteous judgment? Here's how. Right here in this verse. If our desire is only to do God's will, then we will judge with a righteous judgment. If we only want to 
help that person and see that person in heaven and, and show that person how to be saved, then we will, with a loving judgment, a correct and righteous judgment like Jesus, judge righteously. But the secret is in wanting to do God's will first. If we look in John chapter 6, look what Jesus says there, beginning in verse 37 and running through verse 39. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I'm so grateful this morning that God will not cast out anybody who comes to him through Christ. For I have come down from heaven again, not to do my own will, but the thelema of him who sent me. Jesus said, my entire purpose is to put my own desires, whatever, potential, human desires behind me and to just do what God wants me to do. And as we saw, Jesus was even willing to not eat in order to do God's will. And God's will, in one area that we need to focus on, and we talked about it a little bit this morning, what is God's will? What is God's will is, is huge and vast, and we can't cover every aspect of it, certainly this morning or probably ever, but one of the major things that is God's will that we need to devote ourselves to, it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. Look with me along that line in Matthew 18. <coughs> Matthew 18, beginning at verse 10. Verses 10 through 14, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. If you want to know why Jesus came, there's the answer in one sentence. Continuing, he says, what do you think? Good teachers ask questions, right? For those of you that are in the Bible class this morning, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that's straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the thelema, the will of your Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. God's precepts, God's commands, God's determination that we must devote ourselves to instead of always doing what we want is to see that every person that possibly wants to be saved or can be saved is saved. And so the question I want to pose to us this morning is, how many things that we personally sometimes, for our own will or pleasure or desire, how many of those things that we like to do or are fond of doing or take great delight in doing or enjoy are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to put aside, to forego, to give up in order to make more of an effort to evangelize? And I'm not talking about evangelizing in the sense of I'm going to throw a little more money in the plate so the church can spend more on 
evangelistic tools. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all those different opportunities that we may have to reach out to people individually. Do I have to travel to a foreign country to evangelize? Do I have to pay to get plane tickets and fly overseas to evangelize? You know what? There's a lot of lost people right here in this country. There's a lot of lost people in Oklahoma. There's a lot of lost people in Shoto. There's a lot of lost people that you deal with every day. Isn't there? Are there souls the ones Jesus died for as much as the people in Africa or Australia or any other place? Sure. Sometimes I think we spend way too much money going to far and distant places when the person next door is going to hell and all we get to do is talk to them and it won't cost us a dime. Are we willing to surrender our wills and what we desire and do more than just say and pay lip service to thy will not mine be done. Had a man in the previous congregation where I preached and he and I talked about this many times and one of his favorite songs was that song in the song about God give us Christian homes. Y'all know that one? No? Okay, different song. But you get the idea. God give us Christian homes. But the point is, is that God's not going to just zap us all God is not going to just zap us all with Christian homes. We've got to do our part, right? We've got to put in the time and the effort to help our homes be Christian homes, right? Husbands, wives, kids, right? It's the same way with the church. We can get up and we can pray all the time about, Lord, help the church to grow. God, we want the church to grow. God, help the church to grow. We want to fill these pews. But if we ain't willing to talk to people about Jesus, it ain't going to happen. He's not just going to zap the pews and fill them with people. Some people may say, well, that's Jesus, not us. Jesus, he could eat, sleep, and drink the Father's will, but, but we're human beings, and, and can we really do that? Can we be that dedicated to doing God's will so much so that we are willing to potentially and to constantly sacrifice all that we want or we like or we love to do in order to do God's will? Does God really expect that from us? Turn to me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, look at verse 22. Acts 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, that's King Saul, he raised up for them David his king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my thalema. God says, I raised up David, and, and this being written in the New Testament, I realize it's citing the Old Testament, but David was a man whom God said would do all my will. Now that does not mean that David was flawless does not mean that David didn't make mistakes. But one of the beautiful things about David, the reason he was a man after God's own heart was when he messed up, he messed up. When he messed up, he got on his knees and he, he prayed. I don't know if he got on his knees, but spiritually he did. He threw himself on the grace of God, Psalm 51. So it's not talking about being flawless. It's talking about being devoted to doing God's will. And when I'm not doing God's will, I need to throw myself on the grace of God and start over and thank God for grace. Thank God that he's patient with me. 
So yeah, God does expect human beings to do his will instead of their own. As to whether or not God really expects us as New Testament Christians to do that. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Another philema verse. Ephesians chapter 5, our brethren in the first century Church of Christ in Ephesus, God certainly expect them to do his thelema instead of their own, his will. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. He wrote that to the church. Do you see it? This is to the church in Ephesus. He said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the thalema, understand what the intent and desire and purpose of God is, he says in that verse. <coughs> Verses 18 through 21, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Understand what the will of God is. And he goes on to explain that and some of the things involved in the, in the will of God, how we are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Listen. It did not matter and hear this real close, because this applies to us today real close. It did not matter if all of the people in the Ephesian con congregation preferred and were experts in instrumental music from their previous religion. Understand that. Were well, a lot of the first century Christians former Jewish people, and a lot of true they were. And guess what? The Jews had instruments in some of their worship. And so what I want us to understand is these people that came out of Judaism, where there was instruments, and, and they became members of the Lord's church, they might have been experts with instruments. They might have preferred instruments. They might have loved instruments from their former way of worship. But you know what? That wasn't God's will. That was their bed theirs. And so what do they have to do? He says, understand what the will of Lord, the Lord is. Sing to one another. Instruments were not God's command. They're not God's precept. They're not God's will. They're not God's choice. They're not God's inclination. They're not God's determination. They're not God's desire. They're not God's pleasure. So he said, sing. Speak to one another. That's what God wants to hear. So you know what? I played guitar since I was, I think, fifth grade. Not so much the last few years because I've been too busy. Okay, so what? That's not what God wants to hear. So guess what? God ain't hearing it from me. Not in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Because it don't matter. I don't play as well as I used to, but it didn't matter how well I used to play or how much I might have liked it. This ain't my church. I didn't pay for this church with my blood. God told me what he wanted me to do. He said, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is the thelema, that is the will of God, and we need to understand that. And it's not just worship, obviously, it's every day. And he goes on here in Ephesians, if I can just give these notes to you real quick. 
He says that we're to do God's will in our everyday lives, in our marriages, our homes, and our families. Ephesians 5.22 through 6.4. We're to do God's will in the workplace. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Even in such a sinfully and sexually saturated society as the first century and today's 21st century self-gratifying societies, we see that God's will is that we do not indulge in that. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and we'll see another Thelema passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2, he said, this is the commandments of God. This is what it takes to please God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Verse 3. What does it take to please God? What does it take to obey the commandments of the Lord Jesus? For this is the thelema. This is the desire and purpose of God. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this doesn't reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. You want to know what the will of God is in a, in a situation, in a circumstance, like the first century when it came to sexual purity and all of that? This he gives you right here. This is the will of God. So the question this morning is, how important is this really? All of it, doing God's will in all of these areas. How important is it? i tell you how important it is. Subjecting my will to the will of God. Not my will, not my desire, but God's purpose be done. Putting aside those things that I might be fond of doing or want to, doing, want to do or, or liking to do, putting those aside, not my will, but God's will be done. How important is it? It's the difference between spending eternity in heaven and not spending eternity in heaven. That's how important it is. Let me show you from a few verses. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 9. This one does not have the word thelema in it, but it certainly works, and we'll look at a couple in Luke. Luke, chapter 9, how important is it? We'll put aside our desires in order to do what God told us to, no matter the cost. Luke 9, verse 23 Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. We must do as Jesus. When Jesus came out of the garden, he had prayed that night, not my will, but thine be done. Look, my betrayer is at hand, he says. And Judas comes and they arrest him and we know what he goes through and he goes to the cross and Jesus said, you want to follow me? You've got to do the same thing. You've got to put your desires aside and you've got to do God's will. 
God's dilemma. <coughs> if we were to look in Luke 12, we would see the same thing. Please turn there. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 42, Jesus makes this so clear time and again. Luke 12, 42 through 47. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and be drunk, master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him at an hour when he's not aware, and he'll cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's thelema, God's will, and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. We're all familiar with another passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the thelema, will, of my Father who is in heaven. So, okay, we understand it's vital, but how do we as we human beings do it? How do we put aside what we're fond of doing, what we like doing, and all of that, and do God's will instead when it hurts? How do we do that? Well, Romans 12 is where we start. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12 is where we start. Verses 1 and 2. Another Thelema verse. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable God would ask us to do that after all he's done for us. But how do we do it? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will, the lame of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, Paul talks about those who first gave themselves to God, gave themselves to the will of God, and then they were able to give and to do incredible things. We need to give ourselves totally to God. Is it possible? Is it possible as congregations of the Lord's Church meet all over the country this morning, all over the world, is it possible that maybe there are some people in those pews who have not fully given themselves to God? Is that possible? Colossians 1 is a way we do it as well. Colossians 1 9 through 12. And in that passage, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his thelema, his will. Be filled with the knowledge of God and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What is my life going to look like if I am filled with my mind, the understanding of God's will? I have soaked up the word of God. What's my life going to look like if I do that? He tells you in the next verse that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, 
That's what my life's going to look like when I am completely surrendered to and understand and devoted to the will of God. Yes, we can do it. You know, some of the apostles, they didn't get it right off. Right off. Peter. We talked about Peter. Oh, Lord, I, you, you know, I'll die with you if I have to. Jesus <coughs> said, no, before the roots grows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Peter didn't get it at first. But he finally did, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. I'm not turning there, I'm just supplying you with a verse. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 19. Peter eventually came to understand that he could do the will of God, and he was going to do the will of God. He determined to do the will of God instead of what he wanted, no matter the cost. The other apostles got it as well. John, apparently that night, didn't get it fully, but if we were to read 1 John 2, 15 through 17, where he says, do not love the world or the things of the world, he talks about doing the will of God, John finally got it, and of course the Apostle Paul got it too. Turn to me to Acts 22 as we prepare to close this morning. In Acts chapter 22, Paul was not there that night that Jesus washed the disciples' feet and when Peter said that he'd die with Jesus if he had to. Paul was converted later in Acts 9 and Paul got it too. How did Paul get it? Just where exactly did it begin with Paul? Same place it begins with us. Acts chapter 22. Another Thelema passage beginning in verse 14. 22.14 Ananias said to him the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his thelema his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard we know that he would suffer greatly but we also know that Paul was willing to put the will of God first even when it cost him even when it cost him his own desires or his own pleasure or what he was fond of doing. And it says then, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's where it began. That's where the change took place. That's where the Apostle Paul began to truly live for the purpose and will of God. And so this morning, God's will, God's choice, God's purpose, God's determination is that all people repent, return, and fully submit themselves to his lordship. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's all about doing God's will. And God expects those who come to him to put away what they're fond of doing, and do what he needs for them to be doing. Begins when we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins or to have our sins washed away and then to live for the Lord, Romans chapter 6. The question we all need to ask ourselves this morning is this. Was I fully crucified 
Did I ever fully crucify that old man of sin in the waters of Christian baptism? Did I really, when I got baptized, did I truly repent, turn to God and make him Lord? Did I truly get in that water and bury that old man and rise to walk in newness of life, doing the will of God, making God's priorities my priorities in everything? Or did I rise to walk in oldness of life with me still on the throne, with me still doing what I want and subjecting, yeah, I'll do God's will when it's convenient. Is our every word, deed, action, and conversation the result of our decision to love and submit to the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Does Jesus' statement to God, your will be done in the garden that night as he faced the cross and all that he was about to go through for you and me, describe yours and my level of commitment to him in gratitude? It all begins when we decide to surrender to God. And so the question is, have you surrendered? Have you surrendered? This morning, if you've never surrendered to his plan of salvation by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to do that. If you're somebody who's already done that, though, and you realize as you've listened to this lesson this morning that, yeah, I, I was baptized, but I really haven't been putting God's will ahead of my own. I really am pretty weak when it comes to making God's priorities my priority, and I need to be more active, and I need to be more involved, and, and I really want to put aside some of those things that, that I'm fond of, and some of those pleasures and things. I need to put those aside because I need to be able to say and mean thy will, not mine be done. If that's you this morning, you need the prayers of the church. Or as I said, if you need to be baptized, please come to the front as we stand and sing. We will pray for you. We will help you any way we can. Right now, please come forward.